everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. Alrighty, we are back. Welcome to the Disco Posse podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Wright. I'm your host here. I am Disco Posse. Easy way to find me, of course, is you can go to twitter.com forward slash Disco Posse. I also blog at discoposse.com, which may or may not be how you found this. And if you want to get uh, consistent show notes and, and all the links to all the different uh, shows, you can go to discopossepodcast.com. That's a, a lot of links, a lot of places to go. I'm extremely excited today because I've got a good friend uh, who's going to join me today for uh, an interesting and and deep yet fun conversation. Um, We're going to be talking today with Adam Post. Adam is also one of the most interesting fellows because his Twitter handle is semi underscore technical. And that's kind of like when you have a tall kid and you call him shorty uh, or, or uh, an overweight kid and you call him skinny. Uh, I am definitely going to say that Adam is far from semi-technical. He is all kinds of awesome, uh, a great friend, a great peer, uh, super knowledgeable. But with that, Adam, if you want to introduce yourself, let us know where you can find you online. And we're going to talk today about focus, determination, and also like how to remove negativity from, from your life and from kind of day-to-day experiences and a lot more. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for the, the great uh, intro, Eric. Um, really grateful to have you as a friend and thank you for inviting me uh, on the podcast today to talk about this uh, subject matter. I think it's really important. Um, you can find me online, as you mentioned, at uh, semi underscore technical on Twitter and semi dash technical.com. That's my blog. Um, I, I'm a systems architect focused on virtualization and cloud technologies here in the southwestern United States. Um, most notable to today's conversation, though, is that I, I think I'm in a pretty decent place in life, uh, and I'm pretty happy at the moment, but, you know, both professionally and, and physically, and I think the, the most important or relevant piece to today's conversation is that really wasn't all, always the case, right? I, I grew up, um, you know, really overweight kid, um, had some bad habits that had built up some, some, some support systems around me were, uh, were lacking. And there were just, there were some things that I had to address, uh, both, you know, with respect to how I approached life, my attitude and, and all of that. And also had to construct a system for achieving the, the things I wanted in life and ultimately try to be, be a person worthy of the things I wanted in life instead of um, having more of a victim mentality, which ultimately was, was fruitless, as, as you might expect. So I think um, the, specific, uh, the specifics of that journey, I don't know that are, are so relevant to everyone, but I think there's a, a common element in, in uh, coming from a bad, bad place and working toward a good place that I, I hope some people will find some value in, in, in the process and going about that. So if we're talking about focus, uh, determination, and removing negativity, I think there is a, a predecessor there, and that, that is really goal setting. So what are we looking to a- accomplish in our life? You know, is this a professional, personal goal, whatever? Um, as with most things, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of structure. So if we're talking about goal setting, one thing a lot of people might have heard about already is um, the SMART approach. It's probably been introduced by some well-meaning manager put in front of you during <laughs> yes, some sort right. of development <laughs> meeting, and you might have responded to it with, with an eye roll, like, okay, great, this manager wants me to achieve something. Um, I, I think it's important to just kind of take a step back and uh, – look at a system like that independent of, of that scenario. The important thing when you're goal setting is, is really identifying what your success parameters are going to be. Um, is the goal actually appropriate to your life given the other factors in your life, like your individual strengths, uh, constraints you might be up against, uh, obligations that, that are expected of you, um, relationships. I think you and I are both fortunate to, to be with people that support our goals in life. But you know, if that's not the case, then you're probably going to be in for a bad time. It's really important to have alignment between those things and have a good understanding of what those factors are when you're um, going through the goal setting process. 
Another important thing is to establish some expectations around a timeline. So a lot of the recommendations I've found around goal setting, they, get, they recommend assigning a rigid timeline to keep yourself accountable. I think that can be appropriate for some types of goals and some types of people, but thinking about this another way, when you assign a rigid timeline to something, you're making an assumption. You're saying, I can reliably execute the individual steps that are going to lead to success. And that is not an insignificant assumption. <laughs> so a more, right. a, a more seems, important- It seems easy, doesn't it? Right. It, it never seems, seems to work out. <laughs> right. So it, it's easy to, to get frustrated if you go through and you establish a rigid timeline and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to achieve pie in the sky goal X before you've even proven to yourself that you can execute these difficult individual uh, steps that lead to success. So an important uh, first step can be you know, just checking your ability to, to do those beneficial things. Like uh, if it's an intellectual pursuit, can you consistently get yourself to sit down and focus on that intellectual pursuit for let's say an hour or more at, at a time? Or if you have a physical pursuit, like maybe you want to do a certain amount of cardio a day or you're, uh, you just need to start tracking your calories. Like those, those are not insignificant things. Getting yourself to get up before work and, and do something unpleasant like exercise or track everything you're, you're eating if, that's a, if you're um, pursuing something on the physical side. That's really, really significant. So before you go through and establish your timeline and follow that type of advice, maybe start on the opposite side and gain some confidence that you can consistently um, get yourself to execute those things that are ultimately going to, to be the things that, that provide the success you're after. And I think the, one of the things I like to tap uh, into when we talk about this is goal setting and, you know, working through those, those situations and, and continuing to you know, like you know, achieve goals and, and move beyond them is it, that in itself is, is super simple, right? If we sit there and we create a to-do list of like, here's nine things I want to do in the next week. Uh, and we, we tend to set a hop, couple that are low hanging fruit as they call, it, right? Like I, I know I'm going to be able to do this. So you get that neat little dopamine hit like, Ooh, you know, I, I did that thing. I, I bought soap. Yay. Right. Check off the checkbox. One down. Eight to go. Okay. Number, number seven is $1,000 into the savings account. And then you're, you've done everything. You bought your soap, you bought your fruit, you, you, you worked out for 45 minutes and you get to the thousand dollar part and there's only 680 bucks and you're like, man. So then all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, I'm not going to get this. And you're sad because you've, you've missed that goal or whatever it's going to be. It could be $7, whatever it is. You're like, man, I had a bill come up and I, I suddenly don't have any extra, uh, you know? So it's, it's not the goal setting and the achievement. That's the real challenge as much as it's the being able to survive when it doesn't work and like facing the, the hardest times. So like weight loss is a great example, you know, losing weight is great when you're losing weight. And then all what, what happens when you freeze, when you plateau or worse, when something happens like a life event and suddenly you find yourself like, you know, just into a bad habit for a few days and then you have to kind of reset and say, okay, can I, can I go back and kind of like wipe down the goal again and say, am I, how do I get back on track? And I think getting on track is one thing, staying on track is another thing, but the hardest thing is getting back on track when something goes sideways. Uh, what, what do you use as kind of techniques in doing that? Maybe describe a situation where you've had that, where like you were feeling good, then all of a sudden the, the rug gets pulled out and you get back on. <laughs> well, I, I think a, a good example here is, right, let me just make the point that a person's immediate surroundings are incredibly important, whether or not they, they are something you focus on, they are the background that kind of determines or can be incredibly influential in your behaviors. So let's say, I think a good example of this is maybe some sort of dietary failure like you're talking about. Maybe, maybe you were on track and then you just went off the rails and you ordered a pizza or whatever. And, and before you go to bed, you realize there's evidence of this failure all around you. There's an empty pizza box on the counter. There's dishes in the sink. There's all kinds of uh, shame debris everywhere. And you go to sleep and you wake up the next day. What is, your, what is your brain going to see around you? 
evidence of failure. So there, maybe even at a subconscious level, as soon as you wake up, you look around, you assess your surroundings, or maybe it's a subconscious assessment. You can, it's incredibly easy to uh, unintentionally pick back up on those signals that you've left in your physical environment that are indications of failure. So I would just say for those types of failure where this is, where this is you know, that, that type of visual indication is, is possible, try to eliminate those as quick as possible um, so that you don't fall back into that pattern. So let's say you, you failed and you ate something you shouldn't get rid of the evidence and focus right back on your routine. Let's say you spent a bunch of money, um, try to get rid of the receipts or do, do whatever you can <laughs> yeah, right. to, to, to not fall, fall back into that. Maybe you saw some advertisements and your, your mind caught on to this, uh, to this channel and it drug you into this undesired behavior. Um, get rid of those things. Uh, turn your mind toward something that is not going to distract you and, and pull you off track uh, and essentially clean up your surroundings. I know this is something that is talked about uh, in depth in, in the book, Deep Work. Uh, it's kind of in an indirect way, but if you're trying to pursue something, it's good to have, uh, pay attention to the, surrounding, the surroundings that you're working within and go a step beyond that and create surroundings that directly facilitate your goal. Eliminate those distractions, eliminate uh, visual and mental cues that are pull, going to pull you in an opposite direction um, of your goal. And I think that will go a long way toward helping you get back on track when you go off track. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and I think it's interesting. Now the fun part is, you know, we, we clear the, we clear the slate a bit, right? so you give the ability, like you said, you see, you spent too much money, you bought a thing when you really shouldn't have, you try it, you like, you, you hope you feel celebratory for a moment about it. You enjoy it, but then you also feel bad because like, oh, I blew my spending plan or I, I ate something I shouldn't have. So I blew my diet plan. There's kind of, you know, one is like, I treat it as it's not a matter of like equilibrium in that case. Like you just have to just, just wipe it. Like just say, all right, like you said, get rid of the evidence, kind of take that out and say, look, I, I don't have to then overdo it the other way to make up for it. Cause that's doubly difficult because now you, not only you feel bad because you did a bad thing, but you feel you have to be twice as good, which means you've set the bar way farther ahead than it needs to be. You really just have to say like, almost like memento, just like <laughs> short-term memory is gone. That's all I've got is the last five minutes. I, <laughs> I, I, you have to kind of just like say, okay, forget how I got here. This is day zero again. And this is day zero where I begin and I'm back on the goal. Right. And, and because what I find is a lot of people, they get pulled down and that's kind of that negativity. Not only just like visual negativity or, or peer negativity, you know, whatever it's going to be, but you hold it in your mind that you did something wrong. And thus you're, you're, like I said, you're two steps back and that, that's, you can't use that else. You know, like I said, you're, you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of the goal and then you're, you're really, really going to get stuck. And right. part of it is, you know, your own verbalization, like, you know, and I do this myself, uh, believe me, I, I'm recording a plural site course and in the middle of it, like I make a mistake because I'm, I'm saying something and he literally just, you don't just make a mistake and stop and let me just re-record that. No, you make a mistake and go, of course you said that wrong. You, you know, and you just like, I find myself cursing into my microphone <laughs> and then I'll do it for like 10 more takes. I just blow them one after another. And it's because I've put myself into that situation. Like I did it wrong. And I'm angry because I did it wrong. And of course I did it wrong. Like it really pulls me into a really, really negative space. And so the moment I just like stop, okay, forget how I got here. Forget that this is take 11. This is take one. And then it goes smooth because right. I purposefully like just wipe the slate. You got to kind of like etch a sketch, just shake it out and say, okay, I'm at day zero again. Let's start. Yeah. And that's a, that's a useful technique, but what you, since we're talking about removing negativity or as I would frame it, trying to harness negativity because it's not all bad. What you're describing is some negative internal dialogue. And it, what I found is beneficial is if you kind of qualify whatever negative statement you're making to yourself, like, Oh, I'm never going to reach my goal. It, 
Right. It, that's kind of just whining, right? But if you, go, <laughs> right. if you go a step further and you finish that statement, qualify it, add, add something like an if. I'm never going to reach my goal if I continue to be inconsistent or if I continue to make stupid mistakes and oversights and, and not prepare. That way you're giving something constructive to attach yourself to. It started with negative feedback, which is useful. And then you can actually turn that around and, you know, it's a strong horse. Put a saddle on it, right? Ride it, ride it. Uh, in, 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 into the, the goal that you're trying to achieve. So take that energy, turn it around, and you can ultimately harness it and use it to, to accomplish the task or the broader overarching goal that you're working toward. I think a lot of it is it's these are foundations that come from from sort of stoicism as a as a practice and and you you hear a lot about folks that are that are using that and and stoicism really is the idea that it's like take take away the swings like take away the extreme highs the extreme lows and 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 part of it is you know, there's a few different books that I've used to recommend to people. One is it's called it's called the Manual, and it's, uh, it's sort of a, a quick, easy read about Stoicism. It's it's Epictetus, which um, uh, that's a tough one to say. And luckily, I've been I had said it wrong so many times, and I'm talking to people about Stoicism, and then you realize you've said it wrong. But the beauty of Stoicism is they don't care. <laughs> so they that one is another one called the four agreements and and one of my favorite things that i pull from this and i think you and i have talked about this like removing the swings right so it's don't take it personally and that's the thing of like don't take it personally if something negative happens someone says like you did this wrong or you say to yourself you did this wrong you have to remove that that thing of like don't attach to a personal statement but at the same time on the other side you have to be careful that you don't take glorification the same way, right? So somebody says, this is, you did an amazing job, Adam. I'm, you're, you're the best. <laughs> and, you, and so you're like, yeah, I am. Like, no, because you've effectively reset your baseline to like, I'm the best. So you're, when you go back to the center line, it feels negative now. And so part of it is, like you said, first qualifying the statement that, and there's tons of stuff on another good book. And I think I may have to put an XL tag on this one. It's called unfuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and he very much describes as you have to say, I am willing, I am willing to do this. Like I am, I am willing to do this to achieve my goal. And that's a beautiful, positive thing. And he said, but that the same negative input can help to drive your goal setting as well, which is I am unwilling to let this continue. I am unwilling to let myself gain 25 pounds because I've made bad choices. And by saying either positive or negative, like embracing that, like you said, use the negative as a driver, not an excuse. Right. And that's really the big thing is like, the, and, and that's actually a great book. First of all, is the, the author is particularly hilarious if you get the audio book. But it's, it's, it's this funny Scottish gentleman, and, and he just describes it very, very well. And it's really just like, stop blaming the world because you have, you have control over your situation. And if you don't, then you don't. So don't blame a thing you don't have control over. And that, again, is like kind of like the removing negativity is also removing the lack of responsibility about your ability to affect your situation. Right. And I think, yeah, that's incredibly important. And another important thing that you previously touched on is deter essentially determine, this is a component of focus, determining the level of extremism that you're willing to deal with when you're approaching your goal. Because there are moderate, low intensity methods for approaching a goal. And then there are more extreme, intense, or those requiring higher level of sacrifices associated with all kinds of different goals, intellectual, physical, financial, spiritual, uh, what have you. So it's important to determine like both your own comfort level and the level of flexibility that your overall life, the things around you will accommodate your relationship, your job, uh, whatever. So it, before you can even embark on a certain path, you really have to double check your alignment versus your goal and the compatibility of that pursuit versus the other things in your life. Um, a couple more things that go in alignment with that, like your level of interest. Is this thing that you're pursuing based on in a, like a momentary emotion-based attraction? 
both of us is, have probably been through this before, right? That type of momentary um, superficial attraction to a pursuit, or really it's probably an attraction to an outcome, not so much the actual process and pursuit, that's not going to carry you through the hard times. Um, once that little dopamine high, a little pat on the back that you give yourself wears off and you're faced with actually pushing through some obstacle, you know, that that little high has long since worn off. And when it's time to to perform a gut check and, and do what's required to, to uh, continue to pursue that that outcome that you're after, you may find that, you know, that the thing that you're pursuing, you weren't actually willing to make the sacrifices for. So sometimes it takes a couple of, or more than a few for some people of experiences like that to really reevaluate the entire process of pursuit and focus on these types of things before you even embark on a path. So that's kind of the interest check. Second might be the capability check. Is this something I'm capable of achieving uh, right now? Um, I'm a fan of the motivational speaker, Eric Thomas, and he might say, are you the right person? Like, are you the, are you the per, a person worthy of attracting the outcome you're after? Um, are you the kind of person that can uh, consistently execute the unpleasant intermediate steps that lead to that outcome? Um, if not, then you have a sub goal, right? A, a target that you need to hit before you can ultimately go after the larger goal. And it, 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 without performing this, this alignment check and, and the feasibility check, uh, it, it can be difficult to identify those things ahead, ahead of time and uh, ultimately avoid frustration of, of, of failure. And there's another component to this um, overall like feasibility. Or, um, is now the right time for you to go after the thing that you're pursuing? Are, are there other like dependencies that you need to take care of first? It's important to think of all of these things first because goal setting and focus, I think when I think about focus and determination, there's this high level of, of intensity and emotional energy that can be summoned from, from within yourself and then applied narrowly on a set of tasks. But if you're not, if you're not in alignment uh, and, and the things that you're pursuing aren't compatible with the other pieces in your life, it's very possible for some things that might on the surface appear beneficial your pursuit of them can create friction between your obligations that aren't compatible with your pursuit. So if you envision that playing out over a longer period of time, you could be applying yourself at a high intensity level towards something that is not in support of all of the other demands in your life. And you could end up in a very bad position for having pursued this thing with reckless abandon in a, in, in the wrong manner. So, um, I guess my point is that when we're talking about these things, these, these aren't insignificant things. They summon up a lot of energy and it's important to get those energies directed uh, in the right area and consider the secondary impact um, of this exertion and the, the sacrifices and the, the, the level of life organization that has to take place for some goals to be achieved. Yes. And you've, you, you covered it beautifully there. And this is the thing that, you know, we, we often, we set the goal and, and, and I'm, I'm a victim of this myself. I'll, I'll, I say victim and I choose my own path, right? I take on way too many things on a consistent basis. And then when all of a sudden timelines start to collide, due dates collide, you find yourself, you can also, not only you're not achieving the thing, but then you become kind of very negative about it because you're like, oh, I'm not achieving this. I'm, I'm actually not achieving four things. And so you can find yourself really getting pulled back down to to that. And so my, I take full responsibility that I set way too many things to be done. And so every once in a while, I have to do what is necessary, which is to be open and honest that stuff will not get done. And what's funny is like the longer you delay getting to that honesty, the worse it feels because I'm like, I'm just basically dragging these four projects along and they're all not going to get done. And I'm not telling either of the four, you know, stakeholders or, or project owners that I'm not going to get their thing done. So I'm like doing a little here. I get an email from project owner one. I'm like, okay, let me work on that for half an hour. And then you get that email from project. Hey, how are things going? Then you get a Skype from number four. 
and you like see stop and you jump over into number four and I'm, I'm doing four things poorly instead of one thing well. Right. But then what I found is being able to say like, okay, full stop. Uh, I'm going to choose one thing, set, like set my interim intermediate goal. What's a thing that I can get to to get it to a meaningful status and to a meaningful point of, of you know, whatever this next step is. And then being very open, saying like, I'm going to be two days late with this. And, and that's it. From that point on, I, I don't give myself a second shot at it. Like if you say two days, that's it. And what you do is you go to the other three people and say it's going to be five days and seven days and nine days respectively. Like you really, really have to say like, I call it to-do list bankruptcy. If I'm like moving stuff to the next day and moving stuff to the next two days from now, a week later, all of a sudden I've got 25 things that are, that are in the backlog because I keep deferring and they all start to collide. So you just have to say, okay, take the dates off everything. What can I get done today? And what can I get done that is going to be a meaningful next step, a meaningful goal? And then once you achieve that thing, hey, like, let's, let's take the dopamine hit on that one. Okay, <laughs> we're, we're on track. Now do it again. And it really, it, it's something like I just try and tell people, this is not a one-time thing. You know, you see these great motivational speakers most of them really struggle every day. That's by design. You know, somebody asks, like, when does it get easy? You know, it 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 doesn't. <laughs> like it does it doesn't just suddenly like, whoo, I got this now. And and you're like the matrix where you see everything in code all of a sudden. Like, no, there is no magic formula. This is a daily recheck. It's a daily dose of am I on track? What's the right goal to set? What's my environment that I'm building to support the success of that achievement? You know, what am I doing in my, you know, is my peer and surrounding supporting this? And because you can have a good day, something happens in your life to your friends, your family, your, your, your partner, your, you know, significant other. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, like, that's it. You're, you're going to get set back by nature. You know, life happens. And that, that becomes the thing of like saying, stop, be honest about what you can actually get done. And that honesty lets you be honest with yourself and people will respect it. I'd rather be told something's not gonna get done until four days after the due date than to be dragged every day going, almost done, almost done, almost done. And then four days in going, almost done. Like it will just go on ad, ad infinitum. Can't let right. that happen. So it's, there's a lot of techniques and, and I said, <laughs> they're practiced. They really legitimately are practiced. And like you said, you have to say, am I the person that's ready for this right now? I'm going to set this monstrous goal and I've got three other moderate goals. Uh, like uh, got bad news, kid, you know, something's, something's got to give and, and you find that out the hard way. Well, I think an important point that, that you mentioned is even the most elite people experience these failures and an important part of the tactical side of pursuing a goal is, I think working in that that negativity and uh, knowing that missing missing a step and not completing something should feel bad and it should continue to feel bad. That part you said never gets easier, but you, I don't think you should ever try to make it easier. In fact, the the method that I use to help me execute things, um, it, I try to retain that feeling. So, as an example, there you know there are several ways you can go about tracking tasks, but I like. Uh, something like a printed Outlook calendar with dedicated time slots for the the tasks that I want to complete, and I essentially place this in a visually uh, obvious part of part of my house. And if I don't mark everything complete for the day, I feel bad about that. Like it, it I feel negative. I look at it, and I have a visual indication that I am not doing the things that uh, I think are valuable um, tasks as, as part of the day. Maybe I skipped something. Maybe I took, uh, took a shortcut or the easy way out. One useful piece of that is that at the end of that day, it, you've got that negative feeling. That's good negative feedback. If you're inconsistent for a few days in a row or a week, you're looking at that sheet and you, you don't have your check boxes. Well, not only do you have that negative, useful negative feeling for the day, but now you have visual indication of, of something like a, a negative trend that, that needs to be addressed. Like you're really off track for a couple of days. 
and uh, now you have that right in front of you and it's uh, difficult to get rid of if it's a physical piece of paper that's right in front of you and you can't miss when you walk by it. That's one of the downsides of some of these, uh, some of the more electronic uh, methods of tracking tasks and goals. It's like it's, some of these have a rolling schedule. You might get a reminder that you need to, to execute something. You can easily dismiss it on your smartphone. If you wanna go back and look at your historical um, failure to, to hit your mark, you have to specifically open up the app a lot of times, go back and look at your history. Okay, there are my there are check boxes that I didn't hit. You have to seek it rather than it being right in your face. So I think that's one of the, um, one of the tactical things you can leverage is just being more um, old fashioned about things. Uh, that way you have that additional um, physical or, or visual cue that, that's hard to miss. It's actually a really good tip too, because, I, and I think I talked to uh, on a previous podcast, uh, a fellow I work with and, and he, we were talking about sort of the same idea of like goal setting and execution. And one of the things I've learned to do was just that, right? Like it's very easy to hit snooze for one hour or snooze for a day. And then next thing you know, you're hitting snooze on something that was like a week and a half old. You just keep hitting snooze one day and you don't know the origin of it. You've, you've put this into this infinite loop. So what I actually do is I say, okay, my I'm, I'm claiming to do list bankruptcy. I'm claiming notification bankruptcy. I'm going to write down like, here it is. Like I physically write down, this is the thing that I'm working on. And then everything that comes up, that's like a distraction, a Skype a whatever, before I action it, like I, you look at it because it may be important. I'm getting a Skype from my, someone in my team. Like, Hey, you know, it could be, Hey, quick question for you. That's so don't answer it. Like you literally just, we don't have to be there. Is this the thing that I'm working on? And I look at that paper and it says, get this, you know, record this module in, in, in this, you know, you know, web presentation. So I, cause if I stop, and I answer this email really quickly. Then you open your email and you're like, oh shoot, there's four other emails that came in that are asking for like yeah, act activity. Oh, I can do this real quick. And then it's three hours later, you've answered emails that actually aren't urgent. You haven't done the one thing you needed to do. So really that's kind of like, that's my focus approach is like, like you said, just full stop, it's visual. And every time I think I wanna do something else, I look down and, and there it is like a visual reminder this is the thing that I'm working on and anything that doesn't achieve this has got to just set aside for now. And then when the goal is done, all right, write down the next one. And if I've got free time, if I've had a good run and I've achieved a lot of things, then I can kind of free form for a while. Like, okay, let me burn through email, take a couple of Skype messages, whatever it's going to be. That's, but it's, it really is, like you said, the first, the physical act of writing something down makes you, like physiologically makes you act differently about it. And then secondly, just that you've got that continuous visual reminder because you have to actually scratch it out. Like that's the beauty part is nothing better than putting a line through it or like right. scratching out like, yeah. <laughs> yep. It's, there's a, a true psychological and, and physiological effect when you do those things that it, it helps you attack it in a different way. Right. And we only recently evolved to use these machines called computers. So I don't, I, I don't know the specific mechanism associated with this, but I've, I've felt it subjectively, like even things like note taking, if it's done electronically, I just simply don't retain the information as well. If I click a checkbox in Google, uh, in Google tasks showing that I completed it, it just disappears and it's gone. But if, like you said, if I physically scratch out the fact that I completed something, there's something associated with that. If you physically write something down, it feels like you retain things um, better. So really just doing things the old school way, uh, there, I think there's a lot of value in doing that. But what we're talking about now is like, how does the brain work? Uh, and how do we work around those, uh, those deficiencies and or harness those things for our benefit? Uh, another important aspect of that, I think, is creating dedicated task areas uh, within your home if you're able to. I don't know about you, but if I sit down on, on the couch in front of the TV, I'm, whether, no matter what I'm thinking about consciously, I just feel like my brain and body are both, they both associate that action in that area of the home with something not productive, right? So uh, conversely, there's a benefit that I have felt with sitting down in a 
dedicated area of the house with a, with a desk that is dedicated to studying with no visual stimuli, no electronic devices, nothing uh, in my field of view in front of me, just a blank wall, uh, no distractions in that way. And the only thing that I do in that area is read and study. So no matter what happens, as soon as I hit, um, of course, there's a period of probably um, conditioning and getting yourself to associate this area with the, the, the task that's in alignment with your goal. But once you get that in place, you sit down in that area and all of a sudden you feel that focus activate because you're at some level, consciously or unconsciously, associating this physical area with this task that you're going to perform. Another example Absolutely. of that is like yeah. sitting, sitting in your car. You, you physically go sit in the driver's seat of your car. It doesn't really matter whether you're checking your Twitter stream or not. Uh, so some part of you is aware that you're about to drive, right? So there are ways to harness that to your benefit. Uh, like don't, don't expect to sit down in front of the TV and just because you have a, a notebook in your lap or you're taking notes that you're going to be fully focused on your task. I think there's some additional steps that could be really beneficial beyond that having task dedicated areas. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And, and again, it's a very, like you said, it's a true, like how the brain works and there's situational things that we, we do. Uh, the old thing of, you know, when you want to, when you want to work out and you're thinking I should work out, uh, you know, you know, what's the best way to think about working out, put your damn shoes on, uh, put the running shoes on and you are, are again, physiologically creating, a, you're, you're setting something in motion that, that is, and I said, like the, the only time I feel like I'm really ready for my bike ride is the, and when it all becomes real is the moment you put your leg over the crossbar and that's it. You clip in and I'm in, I'm in mode now. And that's really what it is, is it, when you put yourself in to that situation and, and it's a physical act of like putting my shoes on, going outside. If you just say to yourself, I, I should go for a run and then, but let me quickly check Twitter. Uh, you know, that's it. You, you can be an hour later, you're on Netflix, you're doing whatever. Right? And it's, it's not that I, we don't get caught out every once in a while by these things, but like you said, put yourself in a situation where you've kind of trained your behavior to like, I'm in a surrounding and that surrounding will, should lead me to this next task. And it's going to be getting on the bike, going for a run, <laughs> doing whatever. And the, another thing that I use sometimes, and I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on this one is I, I very much use kind of like public shame as a way to invoke myself to do something. So I'll say like, I'm going to get my AWS certification in two weeks. I haven't started studying. I just go on card and I write it on Twitter, going for my AWS cert in two weeks. I, I am now committed to this because someone's going to be like, hey, how the AWS cert go, dude? Like if I don't, kind of like publicly tell my goal or share it with somebody who is going to be able to like kind of keep me in check. That motion for me is a very, that's my, that's my trigger. Okay. I got to do this. <laughs> that's so interesting because it, it, and this is really important too, because I found that some people function that way and some people are the opposite like me. So if I were to share my goals, let's say it's a big goal the simple act of other people acknowledging that positively, that's, that's an, a form of me getting a reward for something I haven't done yet. Receiving encouragement for other people about talking about something that I haven't even taken step one toward. So it, it depends on your, your mental and behavioral composition, I think. So if you have that tendency, like I, that's something I've observed in myself. Hey, the, the dopamine hit that I'm getting right now as a result of this support, as a result of putting this goal out there is actually something that is demotivational instead of motivational. So I'm kind of the opposite and that I tend not uh, to tend to try to not to share my uh, larger goals so that I, I can work on them without getting that quick in, intermediate um, dopamine hit and that reward without actually taking those um, often unpleasant steps toward it. Um, so it, if you're predisposed to that, maybe try to avoid it. If it's something that uh, serves as a powerful motivator because you, you now have your uh, people aware of what you're trying to achieve and observing whether you're performing those behaviors or not, now you have accountability and maybe your rep, 
uh, to a certain extent, some aspect of reputation on the line, I can see totally how that would be um, a motivator. Yeah. And it's funny. That's why I thought I, I, I had a feeling you would, because I've seen the way that you, you're, you've got, you're an incredible achiever. You really, really do so well at like setting things in motion and then share. And then once the result is there, I don't even find that you, that you need to share it to, to get that pat. Like you very much are very good at self-motivating and, and it's a lot of folks don't have that. And that's my thing was, you know, like I said, I, I, I learned at one point that if I, if I set myself in motion to be publicly shamed, if I miss this step, that's a good motivator for me. And it's, it's funny that there's very, very different approaches to it. And all of which, you know, are going to be very personal. These are things that people got to test. And like you said, it could be even demotivating. It's, it's an interesting challenge. And whether it's like going through the big five or, or doing your, your personality test, you can kind of weigh some of those things out. And also um, a thing that I use, and, and this is one I really love to get your thoughts on. I use negative visualization and I've reached a point in my life where I can safely do this, but I think I've always done it. I used to very purposefully kind of like drive myself into like, let me feel like, I mean, I needed to feel bad to get back to zero. Like I needed to be like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And then when I, what would I do to recover from that? And I really, really taught myself to kind of go low, like really pull myself into a, into a tough spot so that when I actually encountered that in, or a similar situation, which was negative in life, I had already like, mentally worked out that I could recover from certain situations. And, and it was, it's tough. It's a really weird thing to do, but I find, I've talked to some folks and they find it very, very motivating. They've been able to use it and other people, they get pulled way too far down and, and they can't get back from it. So I'm curious in your thoughts on, have you ever used negative visualization? You know, it's, it's the same as positive visualization, like picture yourself running across the goal line with your hands in the air and they hand you a trophy. <laughs> like, no, picture yourself falling 10 feet before the finish line and you're the last person to cross okay, I don't want that to happen. So I've now motivated myself to not let that happen. Right. And this is another, I'm glad you brought this up because this is incredibly important. Escaping failure is, in my mind, more powerful than pursuing pleasure. If you are running from the flames, if you are really trying to avoid a very unpleasant outcome and you feel the pressure of, of impending doom, so to speak, you're going to be very motivated. Um, now that is something at a period of my life that was, that was a reality. So it, it wasn't something that had to be manufactured, but what you learn as life starts to get more pleasant, you can maintain that because you've learned it in an unpleasant place. You can maintain that as a technique that uh, you can use when life gets good as a way of warding off complacency, the, the killer of all goals, right? So you can continually keep those, you know, keep the flames on you, so to speak, as a mental exercise so that you're continually running away from that negative outcome. On the other side, if you transition at some point from escaping the negative to pursuing the positive, you're somehow, if I analyze that, I'm thinking, okay, I've achieved a certain level of, you know, I've accomplished something, I'm, I'm feeling okay in my current spot. Now I'm going to go after the next thing, which is better. In breaking that down, that just says to me that I'm comfortable with the spot I'm in. I don't have to go toward this next step. It would be a nice luxury if I could. That's what I think is the downfall of uh, pursuing the positive versus escaping the negative. Is that a way that you want to live uh, forever? I, I don't know that that's the case, but I think that this is something that can be very, very useful when you're employing it as a tactic to, to achieve something that is unpleasant that you know is going to get you to that next step. How you deal with that transition, where you, um, where you draw the line and decide to shift mentally toward living in a happier place where you're happier with your current state and you're um, more pursuing a positive in, instead of escaping a negative, that, that's an individual choice. But like you said, very, very useful tactic. And part of this really is about the, 
the picture that you paint mentally? Like, what are you achieving? How vividly do you paint that picture? I think that's another important component of this. Um, if I can transition in, in, uh, into that, because there's a visualization component. As we're creating our goals, it's easy to really, really create a detailed, vivid picture of what you want the outcome to be. Uh, you envision yourself in this successful situation. You might have detailed thoughts about how the process is going to go, um, et cetera. And some people, some sources of guidance, motivational speakers, books on, on self-help, what have you, recommend this as a useful technique. Paint that picture, put it out into the universe as this is the outcome that I'm going to achieve and have. Well, I think that can be incredibly detrimental, especially to people that are beginners and they don't necessarily have the, um, the battle scars associated with pursuit of, of goals quite yet. So what I think can be very um, beneficial is to not have as much emotional attachment to that vivid picture that I think broadly people have a tendency to paint and make the picture less vivid. Uh, relax the timeline, like you said. Don't be so detailed about what your expectations on the process and especially the outcome are, are going to be. And focus, put all of your focus mo more in a uh, behavioral sense on what the steps that will contribute to a generally positive outcome are and simply focus on those and realize that those beneficial things, if they are in fact beneficial and you've evaluated the secondary impacts of those steps, they will build into some sort of, of success. You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what you're going to have to encounter or fight off or adapt to along the way. And if you take that approach, you're less, a, you, you feel less of a loss or a grief. I mean, it can even be a grieving process if, if you find that that mental picture that you've painted isn't going to come true. So what you want to do in the long term, I think, is avoid that entire process and just focus on the fact that these positive steps are going to lead to a generally positive outcome and just try to focus on that and be happy knowing that the spot you're going to end up in is better than the spot you're currently in. I think the other, what's been very thematic through all of what we've talked about and, and through discussions, even, you know, we've, we've had beautiful, I, I've been incredibly empowered by the, the talks we have about this stuff because a lot of it is like, we have to embrace the negativity. We have to embrace the failure. You can't remove it. You have to embrace it and be able to learn to react to it. And it's, it's truly like a muscle memory thing. I mean, I think of it like, like when you're 15 years old and you're in your first relationship and that relationship ends, you want to kill yourself. It's like, a, this, this is the most terrible thing that's ever happened to you. You've experienced a loss that's unlike anything you've ever experienced. And you're sure that you cannot look at this person again with somebody else. Yeah, when you're 45 and a relationship ends, you're like, man, that sucks. Anyways, you know, like you, because you've kind of lived the experience multiple times and everything that we go through, like you said, it's like, it's creating this muscle memory of like, I can do this. I can survive these things. And so it's a very, it's a, it's all about lived experiences, finding the good and kind of like doing retrospectives on, okay, I missed the goal, but what, what could I have done differently? And, and, and again, I, I always tell people it's, it's truly transparency and, and radical candor being openly honest with like, I set this goal terribly and there was no way that I was actually going to be able to achieve it. But what I did do is I got to kind of 30%. Okay. Reset. What's the, much my next goal and use those, use the negative experience, use the challenge you faced uh, and so here's another one. I, I'm interested to hear, get your thoughts on this. Uh, in, in weightlifting, they, they talk about a thing called the law of accommodation, which effectively is like, if you do the same set of reps repeatedly, uh, you know, you're going to plateau. You'll hit a point where your, your muscles, like physically and, and the way that your muscles react and, and grow, they will stop because you do the same thing repetitively. And so they become used to it. And so I find this as my motivational thing. So food, great example. I use time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting. And it's, I, so I kind of keep a window. I don't eat from, you know, until noon. 
and then I eat until like 8 p.m. And, and I eat a very sort of restricted diet. But what I do is I purposefully, like th two, sometimes three days a week, I eat at like seven in the morning. So that at 11 o'clock in the morning, I feel awful because I'm like, I'm hungry. I feel the, the downside of like, I'm on, on the wrong side of, of a carb. You know, I, I'll have a higher carb breakfast instead of a high protein breakfast. And I, I purposefully put myself in that situation where I feel it because I know that the next day I'm not going to have breakfast and I'm going to feel hungry and it's going to suck. But because I get through it, then I've sort of retrained myself. Okay, now let, let's do this for five days. I'm not going to slip, right? So five days I stay on track and then on, on day, whatever. It's like random too. Like I'll just be like, okay, it's Saturday. Time to eat a bigger, big breakfast and blow it up because I know on Sunday I'm not going to eat. And sometimes I literally will go 20 hours without eating because I know I can do it now. I've trained myself to be able to respond and, re and get back on track. What are your thoughts on on blowing it up. I know you're very, very good at structure. I'm curious, do you ever push yourself to go outside of that structure just to force yourself back in? Well, it, it, it depends. Um, so, sometimes a more drastic variation is necessary to kind of ensure that you're countering adaptation. Uh, how that might look depending on what your physical or diet pursuit is might, might be different, but I just, uh, like you were talking about, the the if we're talking about a physical pursuit, that variation in the stimulus is necessary to, to make sure that um, you're not just adapting to things and they're getting easier. The, the same principle is true for a lot of mental pursuits. Uh, as you uh, gain in capability, you can't just, you know, keep, keep your, your focus on the same level of, of difficulty with respect to your material. You want to take the next step or move laterally into, into a different area and skill up in, in that area. Um, being in that area of adaptation is a, where you've adapted. You're, you're doing some sort of work, but you're adapted to it and it becomes easy. That's even though you're putting in work, you're giving yourself a, a you probably feel somewhat accomplished for having done the job. It's still kind of a form of complacency because the the next step to ensure that you're continuing to make progress is to make things harder. And sometimes it feels like, hey, I'm exerting myself, I'm checking the box, I'm doing enough. So the the key piece here is I think ongoing assessment, uh, checking yourself and making sure that the burden that you're placing on yourself is enough to ensure that, that you're continuing to grow versus being complacent. On the mental side of things, uh, you also mentioned a really important component of this, and it's that you're conditioning yourself to be tough. You're placing difficult things in your way intentionally so that you can work through them and make those things easier to do. And I think this is a, a consequence of the modern life that we're living. We're no longer struggling for survival, hunting for our own food, um, fighting with you know, uh, the tribe over in the next area. Those things are not pressures in, in modern life. So we have to construct them uh, and, and place burden on ourselves so that we don't become completely useless. Um, so being able to do that for yourself instead of those things being placed on you by uh, an external uh, force like your manager or the system, right? Figuring out how to do that for yourself is a, is a very important thing. Now, one thing I've noticed about our entire discussion, I think that's because you and I have both been through this process enough to not have uh, fantasies associated with the with optimization and the results that are promised along with things like that. We, what we've talked about today are foundational, like bread and butter, <laughs> fundamental approaches toward accomplishing things. I think these are the, the what make up like the 90%, the, 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 the steps and techniques and ways of thinking that might lead to 90% of the results in any given pursuit or, or area. If we look at the, materials that are marketed to people attempting to accomplish something though, they are focused on what I think of as like the 10%, the optimization uh, versus the, the foundational elements that really 
make up the doing of the doing of the unpleasant work. So things like supplements or optimization techniques or you know um, time management. Uh, I don't I don't know if you probably talk to beginners from time to time, and it, no matter what the what the pursuit is, whether it's physical or or professional a common thing coming out of the, the mouths of the beginner is just the focus on how do I make this process optimal? How do I get the, the most out of my effort? And really that's the focus on the tiny things that lead to the 10%. And the way I think of this is like, you're not Tim Ferriss. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not an elite. I am, I am a normal person. And I, the only way I've found to reliably accomplish anything is to focus more on the 12, 12 hour work day than the four hour work week, you know? That's right. Yeah, I call it the, I call it the 34 hour work week. I'm like, hey, I'm not at four hours yet, but I'm getting there. Right. <laughs> I've shaved a little bit off of the, the regular scooter, but it, you're right. Like, I love, it's gotta be like the 101, 201. Like those, those folks are at like 501. They're like, like you said, they're, they're elite performers and they've built the situation, no doubt they go back to, they go back down the ladder a bunch of times, like, and that they've been able to train themselves up to this. And the hard part, like you said, is if somebody's a newcomer to it, they're going to go out and they're going to read four hour work week. And then they are be like, but I can't get this done. Like, and, and so that effectively pushed the goal down. My sister started running years ago now. And, and it was really humbling to watch this whole thing as she was going through and, and she was training and she took this like couch to 5k group. And so what I love about those type of groups is that literally you're taking somebody to the point where they're going to run a 5k run or walk for 5k. And it's tough because sometimes if they look around like, Oh, you know, if you, if you, you know, pick up a, you watch the David pot Goggins podcast, and here's this guy running around doing 3000 pull-ups and, and running at four o'clock in the morning with a shirt off through who knows weird areas of, of, of the city. Like, put your shirt on kid. Like this is not motivating to people that have just trying to walk five kilometers. And like, so what I try and tell the folks that are just getting started and I said, if you do a 5k, don't ever feel anything but amazing. I said, cause even though you may look and there's like a, you know, a thousand people here and the, but there's 2000 doing the 10k. Do you know what? There's 4.2 billion people who didn't get off the couch. That feels pretty good. Doesn't it? You are actually in 10% if you look at the percentages the right way. All right, now what's next? And then it becomes the sort of, like, like you said, continuous optimization. What's the next thing you can optimize and work towards? But it's very good. Like those first things, like you said, I, that's why I love the foundations. And, and this, has been, this has been good. We, uh, you know, we're, there's so much more we can cover. Uh, we'll, we'll tap into some very specifics in, in future. I, I definitely hope we get a chance to, to, to put some more stuff down on, on tape, as they say. Not on tape. It's uh, digitally formed. But, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Uh, this has been very, very helpful. Adam, it's always a pleasure uh, for folks that are definitely looking to do things. Uh, you know, you're, you and I are at events a lot. Uh, so hopefully folks can, can swing by, uh, you know, learn some of these lessons. Uh, and, and if folks want to reach out to you, uh, how can they track you down and, and, and get connected with you online? Uh, the best way to do that is probably through Twitter. I'm the most responsive there again, at semi underscore technical. Um, and um, we look forward to continuing the conversation about anything professional or personal development related. Um, love to help. Yeah, well, I've got a, uh, I've got a lot of folks that really, really love this stuff. And like you said, it's because it's, it's, cre it's nurturing the, that muscle memory to do it the first time and the second time and the third time. And, and more and more folks are, are kind of approaching me on this side of the world rather than like, Hey, how do you use Terraform to stand up a multi-cloud uh, container environment? Like I, it's, I, I've, I, I've, laughed because somebody's like, Hey, your, your podcast isn't a hundred percent technical anymore. I'm like, that's because my audience isn't. Uh, and even technical people love the idea of time management, personal optimization, like these things, this is what makes us good at the technology right. we take practices and put them in that. And, and on that one too, I got to say, uh, you know, your, your technical acumen is a proof in the way that you approach things. And it's, it's, it's a rare treat to watch your output. And, and outcomes that you generate on the technical side of the world 
Um, so anybody that doesn't hire you for the craziest like CTO gig is they're, <laughs> they're looking in the wrong spot. They, they need, someone needs to, to pay you a lot of money and, and do some wicked cool things. <laughs> we'll get there someday, huh? <laughs> <laughs> we, we all will. And, and you, it is, everything you do is earned and deserved. I got to say that. So with that, we're going to, sh- we're going to drop today. Thanks again for folks that want to catch up more. You can always reach out again. Uh, so, uh, Adam is online. He's semi underscore technical. I am disco posse. Uh, we look forward to hearing more in future uh, we will all be doing some stuff uh, at future events so keep an eye on the on the tweet stream uh, we've got some stuff chances to meet folks in person and uh, do subscribe of course uh, on iTunes if you can rate it always even cooler if you can you know get positive ratings it gives me a chance to get some feedback if you like it if you want to hear more you want to get on the show then please do reach out uh, just drop me a DM my DMs are open on Twitter with that we're going to drop today Adam always a pleasure thank you very much for sharing the story uh, and we'll we'll talk again very soon Thanks, Eric, and uh, appreciate what you're trying to do for the community here. It's uh, great to see. You're listening to the Disco Palsy Podcast.